Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Foundations. And out of that abundance was going to flow living water from within yourself. <laughs> and you suddenly go, setting, culture, everybody's thinking and thanking God in anticipation for the life that He will give them. Foundations. Understanding the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. With Robbo Robinson and Mandy Warby. Welcome back to Foundations, where yesterday Mandy left us in suspense. Hanging. <laughs> yes, talking about Jesus, the living water, and you were about to reveal, the, I guess, the climax of the uh, episode there where the, the high priest walks down, collects the water, he's gone back up, and then what happened? We've been waiting 24 hours to know. Okay. Well, let's recap. <laughs> Just a smidge. Because yesterday we, we did sort of touch again on why it's so important that we get the cultural settings. Again, because the, the understanding is is so, so richer. It's not that it's a different picture that we get. Uh, sometimes it can be, but it's not that it's necessarily we're going to get something completely different. We're just going to get a far richer, deeper understanding of something. And we we talked about Leonardo da Vinci's picture, The Last Supper, and how after 500 years of grot and grime and, and really bad attempts at fixing it, a 22-year project was undertaken and the vibrancy and original beauty of the master uh, was suddenly revealed. Mm. That is what understanding the Jewish foundations of the Christian faith is like. Uh, and we also learned just a little bit of history about Israel and in particular – it, we started looking at the ceremony surrounding the the offering of water during a celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Hebrew word for that feast is called Sukkot. Uh, and it's really important to understand why Jesus said what he said. Okay, so we learned that um, King Hezekiah in the year 701 BC, he built this uh, tunnel. Act- actually, I've got to tell you, this tunnel is an engineering feat of genius Mm. and to this day nobody knows how they did it. You had two groups of um, builders or let's say diggers Mm -hmm. (laughs) because what they did and they were literally digging through solid rock. One was starting at the bottom of the mountain and one was starting towards the top of the mountain. We're talking about getting towards the top of Mount Moriah. Mm. Okay, a bit further up you have the Temple Mount. You come down because this was the city of David and it was down the slopes of Mount Moriah. And he Hezekiah extended the city walls so that the Gihon Spring was inside, but they had to have a collection point, which was the Pool of Siloam. But they had to keep the water flowing within the city. So you had these two um, groups of diggers started at the top and bottom. And they literally, with hammer and chisel, they're digging through solid rock. Mm. And when you walk through it, they had lined it. So you can see the remnants of how they had lined it. And you can see the chisel marks. And I mean, it's as wide that the tunnel literally is as wide as me. Okay. Most of the time it's about as high as me. That ain't very high. (laughs) Uh, I'm 5'2. Sometimes it gets higher. Sometimes it gets lower and you've got to bend down. And uh, so quite narrow. And then all of a sudden it comes to a corner and you think, oh, they went to go that way. Then they suddenly righted and they went the other way. And that happens all the way through. You think, how did they know? Yeah. They didn't. Uh, drop any shafts or anything. There was no seismic um, uh, cleft in the rocks. They did obviously had no, you know, ground penetrating mm. sonar or anything like. Nobody knows how they did it. But at one point they met chisel to chisel. That's amazing. And they and 
it, it is extraordinary mm. to walk through this. It was amazing. And there is a little plaque, the original is in the museum, that actually says at this point is where they met chisel to chisel 2,700 years ago. Wow. Oh, so it's very exciting. That's amazing. Yep. So anyway, all of that said, the water would then be collected in the pool of Siloam. And then the high priest would come down every day, collect water, go up, and he would then pour out this water offering. Uh, that's something I always found a little bit confusing because my first thought is if you've got the altar, mm. the altar burns with fire and he's pouring water on it, wouldn't that put the fire out? Maybe it was a really, really big fire <laughs> and there wasn't enough yeah. water. It would have been in a jug that he could carry. So I think that's probably the answer. But then he would carry up on the very, very last day, he would then bring up the this last vessel of water, great pomp and ceremony, literally tens of thousands of people lining the streets. And I want to read to you from John seven thirty seven to 39, okay, because it's kind of at this point that Jesus jumps into the mix of what's happening. Mm-hmm. All of this is unfolding. And it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The last day of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot was called Hoshanah Rabbah. That was the name of the last day. It was the the, mm-hmm. the culmination, the climax, yep. the grand finale. And but, but what you have to understand about the living water is that the living water. This was very much. This is this is kind of like the Feast of Tabernacles. Is is it's a celebration very much of God's provision for the coming year. Mm-hmm. And living water was essential. Remember, you're talking about a very dry, desert, arid land. Yeah. And in, he brought them to. I mean, the, the, the Jews are always have this joke. They say Moses wandered around in the year, in the in the desert for forty years and stopped in the only place with no water and no oil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, blessings. In that particular place, they had to rely on God mm. to be the provision of water so that they could live. No yeah. water, no crops, no crops, no food, no food, no life. Yeah. So the living water, this sacrificial offering of water during this ceremony was of this this necessity in thanking God in advance for the living water that was going to keep them alive yeah. for the coming year. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because oftentimes you think of water as being for cleansing, and it was. You know, there's lots of yeah. al- al- uh, allergies about that in that context. But, I mean, really this was a, a, an offering for, I guess, successful crops. Really that was that sort of prayer to God. Please bless our crops for the year to come. Yeah, it, this this was a plea to God and trusting him for life for mm. the coming year because without it, there is no life. Yeah. So in the middle of this anticipation, this celebration, this joy, this enthusiasm, as he marched around the altar seven times to pour out this water and Jesus stands up in the crowd and he says, you want living water? You come to me for living water, mm. and I will give you living water. And out of that abundance is going to flow living water from within yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and you suddenly go, oh, setting, culture. Everybody's thinking and thanking God in anticipation mm. for the life that he will give them in faith this coming year. And Jesus is saying, actually, if you want that, I can give it yeah. to you. 
you've, but me. you've got to come to me yeah. to get it. And that's the significance in setting. We just think, oh, yeah, he's at a feast. And then he turns around to, to his disciples and says, well, come to me for living water, you know. No, 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 no. He stood up in the midst of this crowd, tens of thousands of people. Mm. Right at this, at this particular point. And when you, and one of the things you learn about the, the feasts is that every element of the feast is fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. But if we don't know what the feasts are about, why they have them, what the significance and the elements all represent, we just think, oh, the, it, it's just the Jews and their law. Now, these were all important because every element of them was pointing to Christ, yeah. and suddenly Christ was there. Now, we can get caught up and think, oh, we're going to have to obey uh, all of the feasts and festivals. Well, I want to point something out that the um, the Apostle Paul said. He said in Colossians two sixteen to 17, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, so it, this is, I'm not saying that suddenly we have to obey all the laws and we have to observe all the feasts. We don't. But we do ourselves a disservice. It's like we chop our arms off. Mm. We can still walk. We can still live, but we're armless. Because we don't understand the foundations or the the significance of these feasts. Mm. We do ourselves a disservice. If we learn about them, we understand how Christ fulfilled them all. Excellent. Well, we're going to find out more about that in the next program and look specifically. I mean, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus is the living water. Well, uh, we're going to find out next time about what it means to walk in the dust of Jesus, our rabbi. This has been Foundations, a look at the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. For study notes, resources and more, see vision.org.au slash foundations. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.